This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. This is actually the first time I've actually had to do that. But hey, y'all, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. As you all probably well know by now, Aaron and Nate are in Japan for the next few weeks. So I am left here as a Disney survivor, but I'm not alone on this journey. Returning champion has come to... Come help me guest host this weekly edition of Everything Elite. I'd like to introduce my brother, returning champion, Drew Spears. Drew, how's it going? Mike, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Nepotism Alive and Well, AEW, a brand focused around family and brotherhood. (laughs) So glad that uh, I get to uh, enjoy the spoils of that. Uh, glad to be on my favorite uh, podcast about all elite wrestling and uh, happy new year, brother. Yeah. Happy new year, brother. Uh, who would be our, and this would be kind of the theme of the show. Who would be the head coach of the uh, Spears dynasty or the uh, nightmare family, the Spears family, if we were so to choose. Hmm. The head coach of the Spears family. I mean, I mean someone we know in real life or in wrestling. Oh, it, just wherever you want to go with this. I would say our head coach would be Nolan Ryan. Uh, I think that would be a good get. You know, he's from Texas, uh, kind of that grizzard veteran. I think uh, he could give us some good signals. Well, wait, no, we're podcasting. We got to get a podcaster. Our head coach is uh, Murder Brian, Brian Quimby. Yeah, yeah, no, Murder Brian would be the one Murder who would Brian, we we're, we need a contract, Brian to give us signals on what we talk about while podcasting while creating content uh so we should get uh brian a tracksuit uh so he can accompany us to all of our podcasting events i'm right now imagining murder brian in like a velour tracksuit with his with his columbus blue jackets hat on just like yelling at us not to you know screw up and don't say us. um too much don't uh see i just did it right there if, if brian was there <laughs> he would have been like no ums no ums uh that's speaking it. of brian i understand that you have uh some content some patreon content for him uh coming up yeah let's get let's run through the plugs and stuff since i'm being left all alone hosting this i have aaron's framework and we've already pretty much gone off the rails immediately but that's what happens when you leave me in charge i'm I'm proud to report that neither Aaron nor Nate have been arrested either at an idol show or at stardom today. So I'm pretty happy for them right there. I was a little worried. Yeah, was, there was a serious uh, chance of that happening, uh, whether it be getting in a fight with their fellow fans or uh, some sort of, um, you know, crisis of manners. I was listening <laughs> to the New Year's Dash show about whether or not they know how to drink and wash their hands correctly uh so all the best of luck to them and uh at and sb we miss you hope you're having fun yeah it seems like they're having the time of their life so twitter 
You could follow the podcast account at everything AEW. My account is at Fujiheya. That's F U J I I H E Y A. Drew is at Drew Spurs, like the thing you have on your cowboy boot. Uh, when you get a chance, subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. And as Drew was talking about just a couple minutes ago, we have a Patreon set up where we do all kinds of content and things. There are three tiers, one for everyone's needs and means. This week on Patreon, we had, Drew's already mentioned it, but we had Nate Naby's New Year Dash. Yesterday, we had the AEW pregame show, AEW Light, which is me breaking down dark and previewing each episode of AEW Dynamite before it happens. AB had his stardom status about the last stardom show of the year. Tomorrow, because of when we are recording, this show is on New Year's Day. Ratings are always wonky around holidays. So tomorrow, I will have a ratings report talking about what happened in AEW versus NXT. But next week, Drew, there's something I'm really excited to talk about that's coming out on Monday. And it's a good thing you mentioned our coach earlier because he joins me on a new edition of the Small Business Wrestling Tyrants featuring Mike Quackenbush. And I recorded this a couple weeks ago, just have stuff prepped ahead of time. And it might be the craziest and funniest audio that I've been a part of. So I'm really looking forward to people hearing that on Monday. The first uh, Small Wrestling Tyrant was really good. Uh, Mike, I know you're a font of knowledge around Mike Quackenbush and Chikara. You know, I always say the best content is content that may wind up ending in litigation. Thank goodness we have lawyers on the Everything AEW team. Uh, I'm very excited so that you can talk about uh, the host of Till We Make It, Mike Quackenbush. Yeah, it is. I did when I did my research for it. I really went deep into like the Wayback Machine, getting like old board posts. So I need to make sure that Aaron knows when this goes up because, as many times I've told him, he is my counsel. So, yeah. so just in case. That reminds me, I need to send you something that may work as an addendum to the Mike Quackenbush episode. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that off mic. All right. That sounds good. But then, and also next week, we'll have an, an edition of Light. You know, as I just said, it's our AEW Dynamite pregame show that I put up every Wednesday. As this is the beginning of the month, thank you to all of our returning patrons and for our new patrons that have come aboard. It's the beginning of the month. We only have two bonus shows going right now, but I am certain by the end of January, we work real hard for your donations and we greatly appreciate it. But we also have Episodes of Light, if you are a $8 patron, you would have already know what's going to, where we're going to talk about today because you get our run sheets and also some spreadsheets and just oodles of data. And again, we appreciate everyone who has become a patron so far. So this week, it's going to be a little bit of a tighter show just because we don't have ratings to talk about. So what this today's show is going to be about, we're going to play Elite or Delete. That's a fun enough game that Aaron invented that I'm going to continue in his brief absence and then we're going to talk about the results from the new year's day show that happened in jacksonville last night they call it homecoming but first drew are you ready to play elite or delete i'm ready i'm gonna bring that smoke uh i will bring opinions that are hot and i will not apologize for them 
I may apologize for some of them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We are not the podcast in the next cubicle order over. We are here to bring it with heat. So, Drew, what was your... We can do two things since there's just two of us today. Uh, what were what were your two favorite things from last night's episode of AEW Dynamite? Uh, okay, my favorite thing from last night's AEW Dynamite, and I'd, I'm kind of struggling how to articulate this, but I really, I would say my number one elite was the way that storylines progressed using the top of the uh, wrestler's intelligence. And what I mean by that is, okay, let's take for, there's two examples that I really have. One is, of course, the inner circle, John Moxley development. We've been watching wrestling for 22 years. We're pretty safe to say, we're, we're capable of saying John Moxley is not going to join the inner circle. He's going to tell them no, or if he joins the inner circle, it will be for a brief period of time in which he sows discord or tries to bring it down. We know the beats of this story. Right. But what I appreciate for this is everyone's acting to the top of their intelligence. Chris Jericho knows that there's no reason why Moxley should want to join the inner circle. So he's giving him the world, the, you know, owner partial ownership in inner circle, the Ford GT, which might be a fun rib on John Cena. Uh, everything that like, even though we know John Moxley is not going to join the inner circle, we are given just enough where it's like, oh, everyone's being intelligent. Everyone's like, everyone's capable of like really selling this in a way that it gives you, if not like a doubt, because I, I don't believe he's going to join, but it allows me to be like, okay, I don't have to feel like this is stupid. Why would, why would Moxley ever join? The, the inner circle is acting smart about it. I appreciate that Moxley acknowledges Jericho's uh, help he's given with him throughout his career. It just feels like this is the smart version of wrestling. Not to say that that's uniform in AEW. Similarly, with the Cody and MJF stuff, uh, I really appreciate that. It's like, okay, MJF is going to make it through hell to get the match with Cody if Cody gets it. And it just kind of is like, no one's doing anything where it's like, well, why would they do that? Everything makes sense. Yeah. And at least like the MJF thing, it's not to MJF's benefit to have this match with Cody. Like he knows this guy blames him for losing his only AEW world title shot. So he's going to make him do like a go through hell or high water. He's going to make him say, you can't touch me. You have to beat Wardlow in a steel cage match. In Wardlow's first match, where he's been built up as a monster, and then using the thing that he can't touch him, he has to receive 10 lashes from MJF, which, you know, naturally he will get fired up and want to strike MJF, but MJF's making it through hell and high water. So yeah, I totally get what you're saying with that. And I really loved the whole interplay between Jericho and Moxley, especially since it seems like they, they found a way to work around the fact that Jericho seems to might already be in japan like that was a pre-tape very obviously and using that and using it in a way that like exactly you just said like jericho knows he has to offer the world to him so he does so and moxley acknowledges that oh, hey you did a lot for me even though we feuded in the past you are someone that i see as like inspiration and as a friend at some time so i'm gonna take some time to think about it but my favorite thing from the show other than like this was a 
this was a much better show than before Christmas. This was probably one of their best shows that they've had so far was Sammy Guevara just being all over the show being like the perfect, like there's a term in some parts of wrestling, but it's not really in the United States called a lost post. Drew, are you familiar with the term lost post? No, uh, explain it to me. So this is a big thing in both Dragon Gate and a little bit in New Japan. But the idea is in each stable, in each unit, someone's going to have to lose. And you don't want your leaders to always lose. You don't want like your guys you're building up to lose. So you have someone that you kind of dub as a lost post because there's someone that can take a fall. And it doesn't really yeah, matter. Oh yeah, the guy that can eat the uh, pinfall. Sam yeah. is great in that. I think that's a great role for him. It, he kind of reminds me of late 90s, early 2000 X-Pac, uh, when X-Pac yes. was at his best in being such a cocky little shit and constantly never getting his comeuppance over people like Kane or stuff like that. Uh, Waltman was very good at being a sniveling little shit, and Sammy feels like the next iteration of that. Yeah, and... Basically, leading between hour one and hour two, you had the Moxley Trent match go straight into the inner circle and Moxley going straight into Samuel Guevara versus Dustin Rhodes. And he was the backbone of this because he came out right after Moxley beat Trent. He did the whole promo there. He stayed in the ring just being a, as I said on Twitter, a social media influencer, millennial dipshit. Like he's been like the male version of Caroline Calloway in a lot of different ways. And Apparently going right in match. Hook up with Victoria Justice's sister, who I'm not familiar with. I know who Victoria Justice is. I do not know who his her sister is. Right, uh, that's out I'm of my age range. In their early, yeah, I'm presume people in their early twenties uh, popped big for that. Yeah, Sammy's great as that sort of character that can kind of thread throughout the show. You're not going to lose anything by having him get beaten up. And also, you know, we've talked, I mean, I say we talked a lot in the last episode and I also on the flagship, you hear a lot about like, you know, this is now a quarterly pay-per-view cycle. AEW needs to let things like extend and live for a much longer period of time. And they've done a really good job with that with both the Jericho and Moxley thing, as well as the MJF and Cody. We know what the next six weeks, seven weeks are going to be leading up to Revolution. It's going to be, oh, a few more weeks of, you know, this Jericho and Moxley. Will they, you know, team up? Will they not? We have plenty of weeks in between where uh, MJF is going to torture Cody. And it's a nice way to, like, you know, defer gratification, you know, whether it's, you know, Dustin Rhodes is not going to get the big win over the inner circle because, you know, Sammy and you know, Jake Hager can constantly fuck with them. So, you know, ideally that, you know, desire is going to be at a fever pitch by the time revolution comes around. Yeah. And that's something that I have kind of been waving the flag about is people need to reset their brains to what North American major league wrestling was for so long. The idea of that you're basically going to be working in 12 week cycles is what you said. And we're just approaching basically week five of the cycle. And we have enough stuff now between MJF and Cody and Moxley and Jericho, assuming that those are the endpoints that we're going to have that revolution that, you know, next week we have Cody's response. And then we have like the three weeks of, of like the commandments or like the, uh, the three rules for the Cody match. And then with Moxley and Jericho, there's a lot of stuff they can do. I mean, Sammy Guevara, they've made very clear that he only had one singles win 
in 2019, which is totally fine because he's probably even more over without winning very many singles matches and just taking the falls in all these matches. So, yeah, I think that was a really good point as well. The other elite thing for me this week was this was just like a very varied show in the ring. Like you had Darby versus Cody, which is like your kind of like up and comer versus established legend, at least legend to the fans there. And then you had the women's match, which was a pretty fun plunder brawl, just like four way. You Everyone came in there and did that. Trent versus Moxley, which was a very stiff match. Dustin and Co- Dustin and Sammy, which I'll be honest, that is one of my deletes. I thought that match wasn't too good. And then a full-out sprint for the main event. So I really liked how varied it was in a ring-based format. And I feel like that, that was kind of a return to form when you look at like the first few shows that they had, that this show felt a lot more like that versus what we had at least right after Full Gear. Yeah, if I mean, I would say that my elite would probably be just like that nice mix of both like fun ring action while also progressing story and giving everything to care about. Uh, You know, if the kind of, you know, bottoming out at the end of the year with the, you know, cringe Dark Order stuff and having Nightmare Family and just like people being like, there's too many spooky uh ghosts and everything in AEW then this was a nice reset you know they were get, I think you know it's a bit of a gift where one thing NXT is off this week so you you don't have to play the you know quarterly to quarterly but at the same time it is a holiday and you're going up against a tough you know college football season so you're not going to want to blow anything that's too big on this show it kind of reminds me of the good version of a holiday show you know overall you're gonna feel good the baby faces are gonna get the win but they had just enough progression in things to feel like this isn't a waste of time so it was very watchable you know two hours went by uh and there wasn't a whole lot to complain about in ring backstage is a different thing uh i can i just hit my delete yeah let's get into it yeah, let me do my number one delete. My number one delete was definitely, I think, pretty much all of the backstage stuff was marred by either audio issues, but also it was just shitty in general. It just didn't hit for me. I didn't think the stuff with SDU was that great. I didn't think uh, the the Janela and uh, Kip Sabian thing didn't work for me. Don't love the Adam Page playing like a 1940s drunk. You know, the the Britt Baker thing, just like I don't know what it is about their backstage, but it feels so much more inorganic versus the things that happen in front of the crowd. And I'm not super interested in people who are like um, nickel and dining what uh, Tony Khan said will or won't happen in the promotion. But he did say, you know, you're going to see things that are in there's not going to be any invisible cameras, which obviously there's not. But. I just would notice the heat that you see when things happen in the arena versus they happen backstage. And also, yeah, this like, I don't like the direction they're going with Janela. I don't like, I think the way they, I think Brit turning heel is great. I question doing it like the planting the seeds of that in a backstage segment when you had an opportunity right after the match to have Brit be the one that beat the shit out of, uh, Reho, I mean, we can bring, we can go into that later, but yeah, my first big delete was backstage. If you do backstage, get your fucking audio, 
working. This was the first episode where it's just like I really had trouble like following what was happening backstage because of audio stuff. And also just like, yeah, for some reason, it feels so much more stilted than the things that happen inside of the arena. Yeah, like that pretty much would have been my delete. The the audio production miscues, that was awkward. And that's something that you're now 13 weeks in. You should have figured out. And then it's just like, so they're obviously going with Alex Marvez and Jen Decker as backstage interviewers, which I think Jen Decker is great at her role. Marvez still kind of does feel a little bit zanned out, for lack of a better word. But it's just like the way that they kind of interplay that. I thought the SCU one probably, out of all the ones that they had backstage, probably was the best one, if only because you already had like Guevara like get in there, and Guevara has just been great tonight. Like if I was going to name an MVP, I would probably say Sammy Guevara was my MVP just because he kind of was the backbone of it. But the rest of it was just like the Joey and Penelope Ford thing. Joey versus Sean Spears was my least favorite feud of last year, and I'm not really looking forward to the to the future of Joey versus Kip Sabian. Like that's yeah. it. Like who cares? I mean, I, I I'm happy to dig into how they've used Joey thus far right now. I definitely want to do it later. Uh, it's up to you if you want to dig into it now because yeah, let's get into I it. Think, okay, uh, I I like Joey a whole hell of a lot. I'm a fan of his. You know, he's one of the most fun people to watch live. Go to GCW shows, seen him at PWG. He is such a charismatic performer and connects with a younger audience in a way that feels organic and real kind of like a kind of millennial like oh i like to party i'm kind of like a you know like you know wild man but i i just don't understand why they can use darby in such a perfect manner and get exactly how to use darby and it seems and i don't blame this on joey but it just feels like he hasn't been given the same opportunity or they they just don't it's like yeah this sean spears thing didn't quite work out he just gets like punched in the balls by his ex and now Kip Sabian, who, you know, has a very low profile on the show. He's not in it a lot. He's, you know, on dark and shit like that. I'm not super high on the idea of a Sabian Janelle. If you, what would be your ideal use for Joey right now? You see, that's really complicated because I completely agree with you. Joey is someone that live, you totally get who Joey Janelle is. You get his performance as a character. You get everything about him is pretty much laid out. And I was at Spring Break 2 with him. And he came into the Train Convention Center and came in like a god. But each time I've seen him in AEW, it feels like, oh, he's playing TV Joey. He's playing like this version of it. And I know that like one of the things that people said that really bothered them was like the unsanctioned matches, just kind of feeling like they were there. And how it is there, but there's like a part of Joey's personality that and his characters that intrinsically linked to the idea that he was the guy that was willing to kill himself to get himself known to like get people to appreciate him. And it's just trying to find a way of threading that needle. And I don't know how you do that unless like you decide to have like a lack of a better terms, a death match slash unsanctioned division. So like, it's very complicated. And he was someone that when they announced his signing, I got why they signed him, but I was always kind of trepidatious. I had some trepidation about him in a national and international audience just because of who he is, who fundamentally is, his wrestling style, and his look. And I'll 
I'll take the L. I think that I was someone that was very skeptical about when he blew out his knee last year that he'd be able to come back and be in good shape like that. But he's proved me wrong about that. I just don't know how you portray him in a way that kind of goes up to his strengths because you can't really have a Joey Janela spring break edition of AEW Dynamite unless he becomes some sort of star. But I think he needs to have that kind of thing in order to be a star, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I don't even know if it's that TV Joey doesn't quote unquote work because he does seem to be over in the arenas and it does seem like people like him quite enough. But I, I feel like they haven't quite of like figured out what his perfect foe is. I don't think it's going to be Kip Sabian. I would like to see him paired up with Pac. You know, I think, you know, someone who's like super athletic, but maybe antithetical to like that kind of hardcore like crazy wild man style, I think would give Joey, I, I think he needs something worth fighting for. And if that's going to wind up being like this dickhead, you know, stole my girlfriend, I'm less interested in that than I would be if he had like, you know, a blood feud with someone proving his, you know, merit as a wrestler or so I don't want to just pivot into a pivot, but I was thinking about this this morning and you know, I think it's incredibly smart that AEW is not getting, you know, too belt saturated. I think it's really good. You have a, you got uh, men's singles, you have women's singles, you got men's tag, you're probably going to get women's tag. But, you know, I would like to see a little bit more uh, worth or things worth fighting for other than just win-loss, you know. I think stuff like the Diamond Dozen is, you know, fundamentally a good idea, you know, they have these long breaks and they do have these like wealth of like mid card talent that is incredibly, uh, you know, captivating, but giving them something kind of worth fighting over, whether it's like taking a page from New Japan and having, you know, tournaments every now and then or, you know, opportunities. You know, this is something that WWE used to excel about out before, it, you know, turning into dog shit. You had Royal Rumble and you had King of the Ring and you had Money in the Bank and, you know. There were all these opportunities, and I think they're on the precipice of that at AEW. But I think with these longer, you know, breaks in between pay-per-views, just giving something that's not a title because you don't want to devalue titles, but just like something that's worth something might give a little bit more propulsion and meaning to some of these mid-card workers. Yeah, I, and I could see them already moving towards that, especially when you look at the fact that they made such a big deal out of Hangman Page winning the Casino Battle Royal, like, and they made a big deal of that. Like, they had to kind of develop these things. And another title when you only have essentially three hours of TV, I think that dilutes everything too much. And the people that they've gotten, that, that they've elevated and given them something worth with, you talk about your Darby Allens, your Jungle Boys, your people like that, that's because they had them paired off against legends and that is how they derive their worth with. But you only have really like two or three guys that you're able to do that with and have them doing stuff. And that's also prohibiting your Cody's, your Moxley's, your Jericho's from doing their own storyline thing. So yeah, I'll be real interested to see that, especially, I mean, we're, we are now three weeks away from the Jericho cruise. Like that sounds like a perfect time to do like the, I don't know, the Caribbean cup. I mean, yeah, just something. Um something like creating a golden opportunity that allows you to jump the rankings or something like that, you know, whether it, maybe it's focused on different aspects. If you want to do some sort of like a deathmatch hardcore type thing, that's a great thing to get your Janellas and your Darby's and, you know, um, havoc if you wanted to over, 
you know, just like something, just something a little bit more uh, friction in the mid card. I'd like to see a little bit. Yeah. And that's something that I think that they could really use. And I think it'll be interesting to see what they develop to be these things of worth, as you kind of put it up. The one thing, since you've already kind of talked about like the backstage stuff, I just like want to hone in on one backstage thing. And you mentioned it very briefly, this Britt Baker heel turn that was just done awkwardly as Riho was about to do an interview with Michael Nakazawa, just translating and you just had them kind of stand there. You have your world women's champion on TV for the first time in weeks, just standing there as Britt Baker, very drone kind of droning complained about her not being there. And I know that's something that there are people who are fans of Britt Baker that were like, heck yeah, Britt go after her. She's never around. But at the same time, you're just like, okay, it's, there's a lot about the show that does not insult their fans intelligence. I've seen this on Twitter that like a lot of people are like, Oh, Brit should know that Riho was in Japan doing shows for stardom. They've brought up stardom before. So it just was like a very awkward thing. And maybe it is, and I try to take my bias out of this, but it's clear that Britt Baker is not going to be the leading woman face that they positioned herself as leading out of full gear. But I don't, I hope this works out for her, but trying to set up a heel turn just based on that and not like how you said, had her beat up Rio instead of Nyla Rose after the match, just felt really awkward and it felt stilted. I only blame Britt for this really minorly. I think that she was not set up for success here. So let's look at Rio's night. Has a four-way title defense you know has to like get it from the skin of her teeth nyla rose then splashes her through a table then she's well enough to give an interview and it, uh, maybe i don't exactly remember what the interview was going to be about but you would think like you know it should be about how she fucking got splashed through a table and then brit comes on and you know kind of you know whines that you know Riho isn't around now who's the bigger heel that you know Riho would want to focus her attention on? Is it the person who whined about how she wasn't there? Or is it the person who put her through a fucking table? The person who could have destroyed her? I don't like that they had her back on the show seemingly okay after a table bump from a, you know, monster heel. But, you know, you could have had Britt give that beat down. We already know Nyla's a badass who's going to put people through tables. Maybe you have Britt save Riho from nyla and then brit does the beat down i think the genre of heel they're going for with brit is probably smart it's uh you know that kind of like we've seen a lot of wrestling when you know a face is kind of disliked by the audience you have to lean into that and make them be like well why don't you like me you know i think WWE tried to do that with rollins recently to what i'm assuming is you know middling effect but you know you're not setting up brit for success because it's like where, where where is Riho behind the eight ball on? It's going to be against her title defense with Chris Statlander next week. It's going to be with Nyla, who may put her through the table. And so then third is Britt on your, like, it, I, I, feel, I feel for Britt because I feel like she was not set up to succeed there. Now, if they're slow building her turn where she's just going to complain and whine slowly over months and just make her into this really insufferable hero character... That works, you know, the heel who thinks she's a face, that could be fun. 
but it's just not the first gripping thing I would want to see from a Britt Baker heel turn. Yeah, I think those are pretty salient points, especially Riho, where her attention would be drawn to because it was built up over the few weeks after the the thing about Chris not going to be here tonight for this title match that they decided to have the rest of the top five face off against Riho and then have basically Chris Statlander have next and then like that should be like motivation one or two. Then you have Nyla who drove her through a table and that was a pretty a pretty rough looking table bump. Like it looked great for Nyla who is now kind of she had two table spots in this match and was look came out of it looking every bit of the monster that they built her up to be before she was quote unquote suspended. And then you have Baker who like, I, I, as we both have said, it's just, I, I, I do believe with the, I do agree with you that there is something that maybe Britt was set to feel in this a little bit, but at the same time, like she is someone that when you're given that kind of promo, you got to deliver it. And that promo was just, it it was like droning. It was, Kind of fitting, though, that you had her there. And I think it was with uh, Marvez. Yes, it was Marvez, who's also a very low-key person. Then both having this, and you have Riho and Nakazawa just standing around going, what's going on here? So it just was awkward all the way around. Uh, points for Britt for getting a uh, plug-in for her uh, dentistry office. You know, I think a small business tyrant is a good heel move. And I think there's plenty of time to, you know, save this heel turn. Have her beat the shit out of other Joshis, you know, have her go after Emmy, have her go after uh, Karushita. Just like, yeah, just you have her just demolish people in a road for Riho. You can have Nyla trying to get at Riho. You know, maybe Chris gets the belt. I don't know. Chris is probably set up to be with the Nightmare family. I do think that uh, AEW has fixed a problem that people accuse them of having two or three months ago, where it was like not enough uh, storylines for the women division. They got a lot of stuff cooking there. So at the very least, you can say that they do have, yeah, a lot of stories going. Yeah, they have really, for a promotion that was criticized, and, and, you know, some of it may have been unfairly, but it did feel like that there was just stuff going on. And then, like, the only big storyline was Brit versus B going to that pay-per-view, even though there's a women's title match. It, it does seem like that there is a lot of people and motivations going on. Like, we... Still really haven't seen what like Ali is going to be like other than a manager for Butcher and the Blade. So I mean there's stuff going on. I think that's a good point you made about the fact that they've kind of rectified some of the mistakes there. But mm-hmm. unless you have anything else to add in, I think we could probably go through the show itself. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, let's do it. All right. As I said before, no ratings update because of New Year holiday. They might be up by the time we're recording. I don't think so. There was a post today saying that. The, they had the broadcast ratings, but not the cable ones, which is pretty much par for the course for holidays. So I'll be back. Yeah, you're, I also don't think you're going to be able to divine much from these ratings. It's a holiday. And, you know, I think the AEW fan uh, kind of idea of where they're going to watch stuff like, you know, the Rose Bowl over AEW probably will hold true. So I don't know what you can necessarily divine other than like maybe what your core audience is. Yeah, that's a fair point. And interestingly enough, the big thing, one of the big things before the show was everyone was speculating about Taz being an authority figure. Nah, Taz was just there because Georgia was playing. Yeah, dumb, dumb. I mean, all, I mean, AEW discourse got dumb over the holidays, just like how every discourse got dumb over the holidays. People had too much time on their hands. 
the whole stuff with uh, Chris and bar wrestling and beyond super stupid. No one gives a shit really all that much, you know, of whether or not they're, you know, social fucked something up who, who fucked up, you know, it's no one like it has got announced and everyone was like, I can't believe they're doing a, you know, authority figure or they needed an authority figure. And it's just like, honestly, we get it. Everyone's like at home for the holidays or has nothing going on. So they're terminally online and screaming at each other. Yeah, that's kind of in retrospect what that really felt like. So go running down the show, Drew, if there's any point you wanted to elaborate on, just feel free, feel free to jump in. Show kicked off with a promo package by, I think it probably was Kevin Sullivan crew who did this. That was basically the whole idea about it was, the how the elites year was and starting off with launching the promotion and how there was a lot of doubt on if they're still really the elite is tonight going to prove if the elite were the elite i thought this was really well done it was something that with the way that they always release these things ahead of time it's kind of hard for me to like pick this out as one of my favorite things because by the time you watch it on screen it's not new anymore so oh, I feel is this like- a video that had already uh been released online yeah, they, they leaked this onto YouTube, I want to say, five hours before the show. It was yesterday afternoon. Okay, I didn't see it uh, online. I thought it was good on mm-hmm. TV, you know. Maybe the audience hasn't watched in, I mean, clearly they haven't watched in a week because they had an off week. It lets people know what this episode's going to be about. Uh, you know, not that there needs to be one overarching story in an episode of wrestling, but elite's been beaten down what's their future hold oh they had some wins it's a feel-good episode to start the year yeah and that's kind of been was the overall theme of the show so went into that to a three shot of the commentary desk they this was outside at dally's place for people who don't remember that's where they had fight for the fallen and they had the two extremes of florida weather between these two shows Yesterday's show was like 50 degrees, and over the summer it was typical Florida heat. So I thought that was kind of funny. So the op- it went pretty much straight from there to the opening match. This was Cody versus Darby Allen. This match started because of Darby agreeing to team with Cody against Butcher and the Blade and wanting to get back at his loss. They had another kind of special Darby intro video, and I thought that this is something that, kind of going back to the Joey Janela thing, they always set up Darby to come off as the biggest superstar in the world. They had this video, they had a guy in a band come out with him, and they had a very competitive, very strong match. And that's kind of going back to your point about how Joey Janela does not get this yet. Maybe that's the reason, because I thought that other than the one moment in the match that I'll get into a second, Drew, but I want to get your thoughts on this first. I thought that everything about this match was very successful and kind of capitalized on why is Darby a draw? Why are people compelled to be a fan of Darby? Because... Cody won this match after 15 minutes after getting the legs, getting his knees up during the coffin drop and getting a quick flash pin. And I thought this was really well done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've seen some people say that Darby shouldn't be eating pinfalls the amount that he has. I do understand where that's coming from. You know, you don't want him to look like a dork in the way that a lot of underdog characters in, say, WWE wind up looking like dorks because they lose all the time. But I think, uh, you know, you're a stats dork. You like the ranking shit. There's a quality of wins here. And there's a quality of losses. So, you know, Darby, as long as he doesn't eat embarrassing losses, as long as he's not made to look like a, you know, a fucking wimp, he's going to be fine if he loses a Cody. You know, I got I got excited, you know, and I thought they were going to do a draw. And I thought that that was, would be super cool. 
Um, but, you know, they needed to get over this idea of Arn Anderson as a head coach. I thought it was really clever. You know, you know, Cody took a smart opportunity and got it. It wasn't because, you know, Darby looked like shit. He can eat pinfalls like this as long as you have him not look embarrassed. You know, he's supposed to be an underdog. He's supposed to lose a lot. You know, he, you know, um, not that his run and evolve was by any means perfect, but they were pretty good at understanding that, like, Darby can lose and he'll be fine. No one's going to be like, well, this guy always loses because he can also win and it feels really good when he has those big wins. But, you know, they have to come kind of few and far between and be hard fought. Otherwise, he's not an underdog. Yeah, yeah. I completely co-sign of all that. And I thought that Arn playing the head coach, so now they have had like a visors manager's head coach. I felt like that they defined his role very well. They made a nice little reference on commentary, how I guess he had like his hand over his mouth, or like a piece of paper over it, trying to make sure that if he was saying like things to Cody that Darby couldn't like lip read him or it'd be hard for him to hear. So I thought they did a good job here. The only thing in this match I didn't, really like just because it's kind of contrary to Darby was him ripping off the turnbuckle pad. I mean, like, yes, it came in play later, but just seems kind of antithetical to Darby's character. Yeah. Uh, I, I see that it didn't bump me too bad. Uh, maybe that's because I have already previously gotten pissed off at Darby being given a heel match at PWG Bola this year. So this was by far means a lot less. Not that I'm sure Darby could be a great heel, um, I think things like that, it's like, well, opportunity arises, you know, you're going to fight a little dirty from time to time. So I understand why it bumps for people. It didn't bump me that hard. And then when it eventually got used, it was more like incidental. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying there with that. So after that, we had the SEU promo with Jen Decker with uh, Simu Guevara coming out, interrupting, getting t- challenged by Chris Daniels. That will be happening next week in South Haven, Mississippi. The next match was the four-way women's match. It was Riho defending against Nyla Rose, Britt Baker, and Hikaru Shida. Riho defended the title by getting a pin on Britt Baker with a jackknife during like a final stretch where it was basically she, as you said, got a win with her skin or teeth. Baker did kick out like at three and a half, which was kind of something. But this match, as I said earlier... Holy Ray, school of wrestling. You gotta <laughs> get that kick out right after the three. Yeah, yeah. But I love this match. I thought that they picked like the segments. Like there was a really long segment between Nyla and Hikaru Shida that was really, really like the two of them like throwing bombs against each other and they made each other look great. I mean, like Hikaru Shida is someone that has not been a clear focus, but she's always been able to get over in front of a live crowd, which I've really enjoyed. And this was just like a really fun brawl. There was some kendo sticks. There was a table. There was an apron sent on through a table. It just was a fun little match. Yeah, uh, I would say lean into some of that uh, plunder shit more in four ways. You know, it's always fun. You can just be like, oh, it's relaxed rules because it's the championship and it's a four way and you're not going to disqualify and end the match because of one person's actions. Yeah, I want to see more tables and kendo sticks in uh, the women's division, especially if you're going to do a four way. You know, I want it to look like a train wreck and it almost got there. Uh, But I thought everyone pretty much came out looking really good. Yeah, it was something that everyone kind of did it, and it kind of made sense that like, that Riho was able to like, yank the pen out because she had, was trying to escape the car wreck, and she was able to pick her moment and get the jackknife and win there. So I thought that was pretty neat. After that, we had two interview segments. The first one was the Joey one with Marvez that we talked about where Penelope Ford low-blowed him with Kip Sabian by her side. The next one was our 
Only real mention of the Dark Order after they had the big Elite beatdown to end 2019. It was a as paid by by the Elite Order or the by the the Dark Order. And the big thing here was that Evil Uno promised an Exalted One is coming soon. Drew, do you have any guess who this Exalted One should be, and who do you think would be really funny for it to be? I mean. First of all, I just want to say, probably smart idea, giving a real leader to Dark Order. The audience at large really doesn't know who uh, the former Super Smash Bros. are or have much reason to care about them or the Beaver Boys, so giving them a singular leader. Oh, boy. Well, I know what would be very funny, and that's Jimmy Havoc. (laughs) And, I mean, unless they're going to... I mean. I heard some people saying like, oh, maybe this is the perfect thing for Matt Hardy. And I know that he's been kind of weird with WWE. You know, there's always, you know, Marty in the ether. Both of those feel wrong to me. Maybe, well, I mean, Hardy if they have Hardy, but I kind of don't think they do. I'm going to say it's going to be Jimmy Havoc. He hasn't been doing anything. You know, he, as a hardcore face guy, kind of feels the same function as they have with Darby and... uh you know, Janela. So they're not doing anything with him. He's kind of a spooky freak. Make it Jimmy Havoc. Sure. It'll be funny. Yeah. Like, it's also like the idea of Jimmy Havoc trying to do mo- motivational promos, which really amuses me. And I think that would make that great as well. Yeah. I mean, I heard Harper possibly, but Harper's never really been a Mike guy. So that doesn't make much sense to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Har- uh, he would be a tight choice for that. Yeah. I mean, if they got him, then that's who it should probably be. Someone, I forgot he mentioned, it said, wouldn't it be funny if it was Quackenbush? And I'm just imagining now me somehow accidentally speaking my Quackenbush in existence after recording of Brian a couple weeks ago. I mean, if he does, till we make it, his acclaimed YouTube show about how to make it as a wrestler by doing laundry good and ironing your tights, <laughs> but he's doing it under Dark Order stuff, yeah all in on that but uh i would say who it should be is yeah brody lee uh who i want it to be is jimmy havoc because that'll be incredibly funny (laughs) yeah yeah for sure after that we had trent versus john moxley as i mentioned earlier this was just like if there was going to be a quote unquote king's road star strong style match this one kind of felt like it they did a bunch of trading holds earlier doing a bunch of chops there was one little moment of Orange Cassidy, which John Moxley as the big megastar wasn't two-faced and kind of got up in his face too. But Moxley ended up beating Trent after two paradigm shifts. And he, Trent took two of the gnarliest looking paradigm shifts I've ever seen. And I yeah. thought this was a whole lot of fun. I mean, Trent is very much... When people used to be like, the problem with Dolph Ziggler is that he sells too good. Uh, Trent is the real version of that where he takes terribly gross bumps and makes whoever gives it to him look like a total badass uh what do you think about trent as this role of you know kind of upper mid card gonna get beaten up by main eventers kind of thing you know in this kind of like trio of best friends in orange cassidy now that seems to have more of a focus on trent as a singles guy it's kind of interesting because this is reminiscent about the idea that everyone thought that New Japan was really going to push Trent and that Trent was destined for big things and kind of supplanted that into all elite wrestling. I'm I'm okay with a tag team guy being a solid tag team worker of his tag team, but then also being 
a jobber to the stars. Like, I feel like that that's a decent role. And I think Trent is someone that has enough of a crowd connection with everyone that it makes it work. So I'm, I'm okay with this. I think this is pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I, I, do, I mean, I think Trent's great at the role. I do think that there could be more of a focus on face tag teams in the division. And I do wonder if you're not kind of... Uh, cutting off your nose to spite your face to get, you know, Trent, especially because it's like, presumably it's going to be a while until Trent gets a singles push. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I want to see a few more like uh, tag team faces kind of get some prominence outside of the Bucks and SCU. So I don't know if that's going to be, you know, uh, Jungle Express or Best Friends, but it does feel like maybe it's by focusing on Trent mainly losing in singles matches that they're missing that opportunity to get them very over by having them be a winning face tag team. Yeah, that's that, that's a fair point. That That is something that you might be risking something, and then you're also wondering, like, okay, Chuck Taylor, I'm so happy he now has, like, a full-time main event, like, main roster thing on a leading promotion, but you're kind of have him there really as, like, the third person when in reality he might be one of the better people for these tag matches because of his long experience of doing this and you're, you're cutting him off so that Trent could look better. So, I mean, there definitely is going to be a time where we come to a conversation about that. Also, I want to real quickly, uh, that Cassidy and Moxley spot goes to show how good Moxley is at interjecting humor mm-hmm. while not losing his character. You know, he complained so much about doing goofy, dumb shit in WWE and, you know, uh, you can see someone on Twitter pushing up the bridge of their glasses to their nose by saying like, oh, but he'll do a spot with Orange Cassidy. The character of John Moxley can be funny intermittently and still not lose his like badass edge. And I do appreciate that. That's an incredibly hard uh, needle to thread. And I appreciate that Moxley does it really well. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't lose the uh, badassness of the John Moxley character. And I think that's pretty central to if you're going to have him be interjecting with comedy, he can't lose face. Yeah. I mean, it's like in the G1 when he got beaten by Yano. It uh, ruled. Uh, it worked. <laughs> One of like, I think that actually might be my most recent new, new Japan match I watched this year was him versus Yano, and it ruled. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, oh, oh, no. Like, there's a reason why I don't do any of, any of the real Kadani cast stuff just because, like, I watched Stardom and New Japan. I got too much stuff to watch. New Japan's the thing that gets cut, and that's I'm fine with that. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that might be the most controversial thing said today is me saying I don't watch New Japan except for things that personally amuse me. That's fine. So after that, we had the whole Inner Circle and Moxley thing that we talked about earlier. Again, that was a really well-done thing. Touching on the thing that Drew talked about a little bit earlier, the whole 4GT thing, it probably wasn't intended to be a joke about John Cena, and how John Cena sold his car he wasn't supposed to. But that's how I interpreted it, Drew. Was that that for you as well? I mean, I didn't catch it immediately, but seeing people talk about it in the DMs, just for a little bit of background, the Ford GT is one of the most expensive cars in America. When you buy it, you have to sign a contract saying that you will not resell it within two years of ownership, which is something that John Cena, who is a renowned car guy and star of movies such as the upcoming... Uh, Trolls doll movie. Uh, no, that's not what he's starring in coming up. He's starring in the upcoming uh, Jumanji. Not Jumanji, <laughs> fuck. Third time, it's the best. I can hit it. Oh, he's doing Doolittle. He's one of the voices in Doolittle. Anyway, 
uh, car enthusiast and star of Doolittle, John Cena, sold his Ford GT and got sued by the Ford Motor Company for selling their car. Is this a rub at him? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I've talked about this for too long. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. It's only, it's a bizarre thing, and John Cena's a bizarre person, so it's worth mentioning. That went right into Dustin Rhodes versus Sammy Guevara. Sammy won after Jake Hager came out earlier in the match and load blowed him. I thought this was the weakest match on the show. It just kind of was there. Dustin did uh, a, explo- a destroyer on the apron, which was wild. Yeah, this was probably the least uh, quality ring work match, uh, but also, like, TV matches don't need to be high on ring work. Dustin did enough tight shit. Uh, you know, nothing embarrassing or no one looks stupid in this match, which is, I think, what the bar should be in TV wrestling is don't waste. It's like what your mantra is. Don't waste my time. Don't make the people look like fucking dorks and don't have anything that exposes them as green if they're green. So it can be not the most compelling match but if it gets over dustin as this never say die you know veteran if it gets over hager as this asshole if it gets over sammy as this shit and you do some tight stuff in between it i'm all for it so this didn't really rub me the wrong way yeah that's a fair point the after that that was when we kind of got into the video package slash not in ring stage of the show private party had a bar interview with jen decker Hangman Page stormed in, poured a drink. The two of them got in an argument. The three of them got into arguments about him pouring a drink at their bar. And this was just kind of furthering the whole Adam Page is a very unhappy person right now. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been some discussion about whether or not they're bringing in too many being the elite things into the show without addressing them. And they've done that with Page previously. So is this the first kind of, maybe adam page has a drinking problem thing on the show because if so that's a kind of a weird thing to like just interject they had uh, a i was gonna say they, they had a, one of the chirons for him a couple of weeks ago saying that when he came out of the ring he said the week previous to that match that he sat at home drinking so okay uh well if it's being i mean I did, I mean, uh, during that backstage thing, I was like, oh, I'm not super into this. This seems dumb. I'm glad. I do like the idea of private party having their own private bar. That's a good mm-hmm. uh, face thing to happen. They should probably bring that into the arena and have fans being able to get some free drinks. And then you can do some tight spots around it during the show. That's very like WCW Nitro energy, but I think that would be funny. Uh, the Chiron of Adam Page has been drinking really good stuff. Uh, I'm not super sold on him being like a Scott Hall drunk kind of character, uh, especially um, not to be too much of a bummer, but a week or two after the sad passing of a wrestler due to drinking issues. Uh, but whatever, they're playing it up like it's Looney Tunes, and I'm glad to see Private Party get back into the spotlight where they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was something that for Private Party, they've kind of been aimless since the uh, match that they had with... Uh, proud and powerful about matt travis so it's nice to see this and i think it'd be really great if they had like the private party bar there and i mean that's a pure marketing thing that they could be doing i think that's a great idea drew bash at the beach you know jericho cruise it's a great time you know they can have be bartenders and shit it'll be good yeah absolutely after that we had the big mjf versus wardlow entering thing big things from that were the stipulations that we talked about before matches match will happen at revolution if cody does not touch mjf beforehand 
MJF must face and defeat War Dog in a cage match, and Cody must get whipped 10 times by MJF. This was probably like my, and I know that, that this sounds like something where I've been very high on him, not my favorite MJF promo. I felt like he really was trying to lean into the Jacksonville baiting, and the crowd was just like, oh, okay, you're making fun of us. And he, instead of focusing on this promo, but that turned out to be good. But like the first like couple minutes of it just seemed like, okay, we get it. You think Jacksonville fans are dumb. Yeah. You know, MJF's great on the mic. Uh, I thought this was fine, but I, I do see the point that like, he's almost such a fun heel. And so it's so fun watching him kind of tear into people that it kind of undercuts his heel work by him. It's like kind of a throwback where it's like, yeah, you know, uh, well, it's the SCU thing. SCU started by saying this town sucks, we hate it, and then everyone ate that shit up, and then that became a face thing. So, you know, I think uh, he could stand to maybe learn, a, and this isn't a fault of his, I'm sure he was given a directive, but, you know, Jericho, when he was heel for the first time, he's kind of gone away from it, but like back in WWE, he would really make a point of being unfun and uncool. And I think there's a midpoint between that that MJF could stand to hit where he's not too clever and he's not too funny because then you're going to like him too much. But otherwise, yeah, I'm excited to see the next couple of weeks of Cody going through how to fight MJF. Yeah, and this will be the first ever AEW cage match if this happens between him and Wardlow. And that's going to be a real interesting kind of, I've said this enough, but threading a needle about how you have Cody. I mean, this match is going to happen. And he's going to beat him. He's going to beat Wardlow, but how do you keep Wardlow looking strong after that? Like, do you have him absolutely destroy him in the cage afterwards? It's an interesting route for them to go to this very obvious endpoint happening at Revolution. Wait, question. Um, maybe I missed this. Does Cody have to defeat Wardlow to get the match? Yes. Okay. Uh, I think that there's a pretty easy workaround. Uh, Ward, uh, Cody wins by half a stance or something like, you know mjf and wardlow decide to just kind of throw the match so that they can beat the living shit out of cody in a cage for like 10 minutes i think you can have cody win but lose while in the process yeah it's just going to be interesting because if wardlow is just going to be a thug he could obviously be beaten and even being kind of banana peelish of like him power bombing him through the cage and he gets out that way even though that's a little bit like to wwf attitude era stuff but there, there's ways you can get around it so okay yeah uh i oh, haven't seen Wardlow wrestle i oh, sorry i haven't seen Wardlow wrestle yet uh but i hope uh they protect him and he looks good by being a badass uh who can beat the shit out of cody uh they've been very smart in picking their spots for their big guys who may not be work rate guys being in yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like the fact that MJF called him War Dog and also Mr. Mayhem. So maybe we're going to have him come out in a full, like, Sons of Anarchy cut. And maybe that's going to be his look, which would be so bizarre if that'd be four. All right. So a couple more videos after this. They had Jungle Boy versus Jericho showed about how Jer Jungle Boy got the 10 minute draw and then Jericho ran away during the overtime. Weird promo with Jen Jacker that I couldn't hear a single word of what went on that. Did you catch it, Drew? I caught a little bit of what Jungle Boy said. I heard nothing of Luchasaurus. Um, I was watching this at my fiance's apartment, and her quick note was, Jungle Boy is bad on the microphone. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you could probably count the amount of, like, wrestling promos she's seen with one hand, with fingers left over, 
and her main thing was like, oh, this guy uh, should not be on a microphone. Um, <laughs> and uh, I feel like Jungle Boy, you do want him on the mic a little bit, but like he does better in those kind of sit down interviewee type stuff versus like hype and promo which I don't know if you can kind of split the difference, mm-hmm. but it is something that they're going to have to deal with to get this person who seems divine to be, you know, a main event baby face over, but he's going to need to kind of figure out what he wants to do on the mic. Sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. We had a full pitch for the Memphis Legends, which made me think about what Memphis Legends they'll have. And I only came up with uh, the old announcer, Dave Brown, and Bill Dundee. So maybe we'll get that. I know Janella knows Dundee, so maybe Bill Dundee shows up next week. Uh, open, open the Hales Gate, you know. Uh, you know, gotta, gotta. You don't have to open the Hales Gate to be good, but they're gonna do it. Uh, I mean, maybe Gilbert. I mean, weren't, weren't, wasn't uh, there some talk about maybe getting uh, Doug Gilbert on the mic? I, I don't know. If that's something that needs to happen. <laughs> But yeah, no, they're, they're, it'll be interesting to see that. That was kind of the big pull for that. We had Marvez with the Riho. Oh, shit, shit. Sorry, sorry. Real quick. Um, they got to they gotta give it to uh, regional legend, Mr. Walkabout John Poe. Okay. That's what they need to honor. That and GQ. Those are the two big Memphis legends that I want to see. Oh, who? seriously, though, who's that older guy that did that GCW Wombat match that's, like, really good for his age? Oh, jeez. Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson, yeah, have him come out. Yeah, have Mike Jackson in the ring. Like, let's have Mike Jackson versus Hangman Page. Like, that'll be fun. Let's do it. So, after that, we had Marvez with Riho, Nakazawa, and Britt. We talked about, enough about that earlier. Last segment beforehand was... Page coming out, he was drinking on the desk, and they had that little Chiron that Drew mentioned about beforehand. That led into the main event. It was the trios match of the elite of the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus Lucha Brothers and Pac. Omega defeated Phoenix via a feed trigger and one winged angel. I thought this was a really fun sprint. I thought this was the match of the night, and I thought yeah. that they had a real interesting way of dealing with Pac in there without him looking like a chump on the losing team. Yeah, I mean, those are six guys you want to protect, but you also need to have a decisive winner. Uh, fun match, you know, good reason to get, you know, if the, the, the story is the elites on the upswing, good way to do it. Uh, I I have two questions for you, Mike, um, and I don't know how I feel about this. So do the Lucha Bros need to be a tag team focused right now? I personally think that there's not too much for the Lucha Bros to do as tag team wrestlers right now. Whereas I think that Phoenix, there's a lot of stuff to do. And I think the same is with Penta. And at the same time, it does not seem like since there was like the big sit down about tag team stuff that the Lucha Brothers have looked as comfortable on TV as a tag team as they had before. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about them not looking comfortable, but I do feel like you have proud and powerful uh you have all these tag teams kind of in the mix and if you're not i mean i feel like if the lucha bros are going to be in the tag team division they should probably be dominant champs and since that you it's not like the young bucks where like the young bucks are going to stay in the tag division 
you have this nice opportunity to now granted they might start something with cody or dustin next week and that'll be smart but i just feel like you know they could stand to have like a little bit deeper singles upper mid card to main event both those guys can be slotted into the main event and it, it just feels like you can always bring them back into the tag team uh but they might i mean hell you can have two matches with them versus pack you know uh i just think that you know unless they're gonna get in a blood feud with another tag team again uh i feel like their tag focus might be time to kind of transition them to singles guys because they're both great singles guys you know phoenix is one of the best wrestlers in the world you know pinta is one of the most charismatic uh and with protection can look amazing and it, it just does feel like you know maybe they're missing out because they've been kind of not doing much since they wrapped up their uh feud with the young bucks or i guess sort of wrapped it up because they're still fighting them yeah that's i think a pretty fair point and that ended the show there was a big post-match thing where kenny came down the where kenny won he motioned out there and cody came out to the ring and they all made a motion to page who was at the commentation desk drinking to come down to the ring and celebrate with the elite but he begged off and now we have the whole thing of now it's pretty clear that in page's mind he's no longer a member of the elite but the elite don't consider it that way and that was the fate to black yeah i mean i think it's pretty clear that they're probably i mean if not a heel turn they're probably gonna wind up having page fight omega at revolution uh you know they probably need another person maybe if they do wind up getting marty you know maybe marty's the one that you know unites them all eventually i don't know if i necessarily want that to happen but you know that certainly is a route uh but yeah it, it was a nice feel good with you know also setting up a few questions in the horizon uh i do have one other question about this match and okay it's it's the role of trios in uh aew which is mainly what is the role of trio in <laughs> AEW? And you know, this is unfair because you know, these aren't questions you would have to ask WWE, but the bar is so much lower for WWE. It's like, oh, good, they didn't make someone eat dog doo doo. And you're like, well, this at least this week they didn't make their main event face eat dog doo doo, uh, fed to him by Baron Corbin. But since you know, there seems to be such a focus on logic and reason of you know, rankings and you know, what it means when you win a tag match and what it means when you mean singles match you know they have so many wrestlers and so many mini units to kind of use a trios match i just would like to know what happens when someone wins or loses a trios match whether that's you know oh they're put in like you know the pinning you know in new japan they do a great job in multi-man match if you pin the champ you're probably going to get a match with the champ down the line mm -hmm. so i guess i would like to see some sort of tangible you know they did have that one thing at fight for the fallen where uh the Darby, uh, Jimmy Havoc, and Janela team lost, and then they had a three-way fight and the uh, next uh, pay-per-view. So I guess, I, I don't know, maybe this is me being too picky, but, you know, I'd like to see the trio's matches mean a little more. Yeah, and to kind of go back to something that you brought up earlier, this would be a good thing to do as a something to fight for is have a trio's league or a trio's tournament because you've had the lead out there of stuff, uh lucha brothers and pack was supposed to be a trio at fighter fest like there's things you could be doing with this but it does not seem like there's a clear thing other than this is kind of their big main event trios match which they've had a lot of which i'm not gonna complain about they usually they've, they've done a good job with these in the main event but yeah it does make you wonder like 
Kenny pinned Phoenix. What does that mean for Phoenix? What does that mean for Kenny? So I think that's a pretty valid point. So Drew, we got a couple more things want to hit on before we get out of here. On Dark, we had three matches taped for Dark in Jacksonville. We had Gun and Son of Billy Gunn. That's right. The one Drew was back in AEW. Teaming with Austin Gunn versus Sean Spears and Preston Vance. We had Awesome Kong versus Skylar Moore. Skylar Moore is a Dudley Brothers trainee. And then another trio's match of SCU versus Hybrid 2 and Kip Sabian. Uh, yeah, sounds like I mostly will be tuning in for the first part of Dark to see uh, Double Guns. That's fair. You know, uh, don't really maybe i'll be surprised uh but you know i mostly want to see austin and billy gunn team that's up. fair that's fair i mean who doesn't want to see a father and son team up it's heartwarming so what we have set up for the next edition of dynamite it will be on the 8th in south haven mississippi which is apparently in the memphis metro area but we have four matches and then one other thing of course we have Riho defending against chris statlander christopher daniels versus samuel guevara Private Party and versus Adam Page and Kenny Omega, and then the Rhodes Brothers versus the Lucha Bros, and we get Memphis Legends throughout the night. I'm really looking forward to this tag match. Those should be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, uh, already set up to be a really fun show. Um, those are going to be great. I'm, I really do like how they inject the local flavor into these shows, so I would love to see some memphis style shit go down. Uh, mainly giving Doug Gilbert a live mic uh, and asking <laughs> him, oh, I don't know, his opinions about any WWE Hall of Famers who might also be illustrators and uh, commentators. That, that 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 is a live wire that if they, if they tow that line, they're willing to give Doug Bill, Gilbert a microphone and they give uh, Turner a thing. I mean, Turner already lets them say shit on air. It's just making sure they don't say anything else. So that would be interesting. So Two last news. Oh, the other thing I'd like, I don't know if he counts as a uh, Memphis legend, but uh, have someone beat the shit out of Tracy Smothers and have him them tear off that fucking t-shirt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just have them destroy that t-shirt. So two things are kind of happening news. It was kind of, because it's been a little bit of a while since the last like news episode of Everything Elite. There are two things. First off, we have Jericho versus Tanahashi and then Moxley at Wrestle Kingdom this weekend. Jericho and Tanahashi, they say it's for an AEW world title shot. I think that just tells you who's going to win that match, and it's going to be Chris Jericho, personally. I don't know, Drew, if you thought that there was any chance that Hiroshi Tanahashi was coming to All Elite. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. You know, uh, against my heart of hearts, I would love to see uh, the ace uh, in AEW, but yeah, probably politics get in the way. Uh, but, you know... Also, those people uh, are capable of swerving us all. You know, maybe the, you know, kind of complaining about New Japan's kind of treating the elite sex that was uh, misdirect. Uh, Tanahashi would be dope in AEW, but yeah, probably Jericho wins. Yeah, and then Moxley. I think they're setting up so that uh, Juice Robinson gets his big win on Moxley in the second night there. There was also like a news note where Chris Jericho did like an interview with someone and I saw this like come across my blog feed and I clicked it and immediately disregarded it where Jericho said that like he wasn't promised the AEW title and that it was a prop and he's just using this as a way to get other people over, which I think whenever Chris Jericho has an interview like this, usually he's working, but I thought that was kind of an interesting note for us to end on. 
Yeah, uh, you know, Jericho is a really smart guy. I think he says things for a reason, uh, and he, uh, I think there's a reason why he said that. Yeah, yeah, that's why I felt like that as well. But that's all we have for this episode. Drew, is there anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, real quickly, I mean, I did see that uh, AW has a hold in May on Ontario, California, uh, for a dynamite. Uh, so I hope that turns out to be true so that they can finally come to the West Coast and have the Bucks big homecoming uh, because, you know, uh, they're probably going to draw big in California when they make that move. Ontario, is that the Honda Center? It's the Toyota Center, I believe, but I might be wrong. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's where the Ducks play, though. So, okay. Uh, Drew, any plugs you want to get out before we close up? Yeah, uh, I uh, have a few uh, plugs. I host a podcast with uh, my friend Kate Raft called This Podcast is Self-Care. It's a podcast where we talk about the culture of self-care and interview uh, comedians and other uh, interesting people about their self-care routine. If self-care is not something you're interested in, you may still enjoy the podcast because we kind of come through it through the lens of, you know, we think the culture around it is, you know, ridiculous and vampiric, but you still have to treat yourself good. Um, so search for that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if you're in Los Angeles, you know, you can see me perform on Tuesday nights at UCB Franklin. Uh, I have a monthly book club show called Cook Club. Uh, that will be throughout April. Uh, all this stuff can be found on my uh, Twitter account. I will also be starting a streaming Twitch stream very soon. I'm planning on doing one of my streams Wednesday nights immediately after AEW Dynamite. It will probably be wrestling focused. Uh, if you're a fan of a certain wrestling league simulator, uh, you might enjoy it. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, follow me for all the pertinent shit. Thank you. Yeah. And just to further get it out there, Drew's Twitter is at Drew Spurs. So you could find out all this stuff there. But yeah, thanks, Drew, for coming and helping me out while Aaron and Nate are in Japan. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Always a blast. Uh, and uh, love what you guys are doing on Patreon. Uh, so I do want to plug that again. Check out the. Uh, everything elite patreon because it's probably already in its second third month the best wrestling patreon out there so good job guys oh thanks brother and that'll do it for this week's edition of ee we'll be back next week but for drew i'm mike we'll catch you next time